Welcome to the Keto Lifestyle Podcast, hosted by nutritional coach Jessica Tai, where we are dedicated to promoting health and overall well being through nutrition, specifically the ketogenic diet. We will provide you with all the latest science in nutrition, interviews with experts in the health and wellness field, and answer all your burning questions so you can find optimal health. This podcast is not intended to be used as medical advice and is to be used for informational purposes only. Please contact your doctor with any and all medical questions. Now here's Jessica. Hello and welcome to the Keto Lifestyle Podcast. This is your host, Jessica Tai, nutritional therapy practitioner and keto coach and mom and farmer and wife and I don't know, I'm a bunch of things. (laughs) So I'm so excited to be here with you guys again this week as always. We have episode number 92 today, which is exciting, that's great. Man, 92. So I have a great interview to share with you, but before we get into that interview, there are a couple of cool things that I wanted to share with you guys. Number one is, I don't know if where you're listening to this from, if you're part of the country or if you're listening outside of the United States, if you have Smoothie Kings in your area. So when I was, well, prior to being keto, I used to go to Smoothie King all the time. We went all the time. I loved it. And I started out like getting, I think they were called banana berry treat and would get that all the time. And then I realized how much sugar was actually in that. And even when I wasn't that concerned with sugar, um, I still knew that was a lot of sugar. So I started trying to find um, alternative smoothies to drink there that were a little bit better. So then I started drinking. They have one that is made with a, a Splenda sweet. I think it's made with Splenda. Um, and so I started switching to that because it's a lower carb um, pot, uh, smoothie. And so I started drinking that one. I think that one's called the Gladiator. So I started doing the Gladiator, drinking those, and I would get like the berry Gladiator, vanilla Gladiator with blueberries or something. So I started doing that a little bit and thought, okay, well, that's way better. Um, But I didn't like the fact that it had this artificial sweetener in it. But I recently found out that now Smoothie King is offering a keto smoothie, which I cannot believe that. I was like, what? Like, this is awesome. So, okay. And I haven't looked into the ingredients yet. I know they are now offering a blend, uh, their own um, what do you call it? Protein blend that is now a keto protein blend. So I don't know. I'm not verifying that this is a good keto smoothie. <laughs> I'm just giving you the, the information. Um, you might want to look into it. I'm going to dig into it myself. I just haven't had time to do that yet. And I wanted to tell you all about it on the podcast. So if you were interested in digging into it and finding out more about that, um, I'm sure if you go on their website or even if you call them up, they can tell you what's in their keto protein blend. Um, I'm interested in what sweetener they're using. I'm going to assume it's probably sucralose since that's what they use and the other, that's what they already are using. So my guess is, is that they're using that because their goal is just going to be to keep the sugar low. So, um, you know, so they can um, be able to advertise like net 
carbs. And I don't even know how much was in this. I just, somebody sent me the information. So I don't know what the carb count is. I don't know what all's in it other than they have a keto protein blend that they're using in this new keto shake. So thought that was interesting. I thought you should check that out. Along the same lines, I just found out today, like right before I started this recording, that Cordoba, so if you have a Cordoba grill in your area, in your neck of the woods, we do here. I have eaten there exactly twice in my entire life. My husband eats there, I think every week. He goes one time a week and gets a... Um, gets something from Cordoba and that is what he he loves it there loves to do that well it's not that hard to make a, a keto um what am I trying to say? A keto meal anywhere that you go, right? I mean, you can go to any fast food restaurant or any restaurant and pretty much be able to make yourself a keto meal there. So Cordoba's no exception. Like I said, I've eaten there twice. Both times have been since I have been eating ketogenically and, and low carb. And very easily I'm able to make a keto meal out of their bowls. They're so good. I actually really do like it there. I just don't eat at fast food places like almost ever, I just don't really have the opportunity to do it, so I just don't very much. But my husband just sent me a picture, um, today was his day to go to Quidoba, and he sent me a picture of their new flavors. They call it Flavors for Every Lifestyle, and um, which I like that they're using lifestyle and not diet. I really love that people are using that. I named this podcast that about two and a half years ago. So when I came up with the keto lifestyle, that was not a term that was used that often. And um, cause I just got not, I don't have that big of a hang up with people using the word diet, but I know that it, a lot of people do, and it's kind of hard to um, get across the idea that this is a lifestyle and you're not dieting to lose weight. I think the word diet just has such a negative connotation like that. So that's really why I was trying very hard to coin, you know, get the keto lifestyle phrase going. So I love that people are using these terms now um, in different restaurants or whatever. But one of the new flavors that they're offering is a smoked smoked brisket keto bowl. So um, it says low carb, good fat. So they don't have any of the, um, you know, I don't, I don't have any information again on what's in that and what actually the nutritional facts are, like what, how much carbs, how much fat, how much protein, all of that. But I think that's really awesome. So if you go to Quidoba Grill, there's an option for you. You can get their new keto bowl. And I think that's pretty awesome. You can just walk up and order that and you don't have to like go through the whole ordeal of like trying to piece it together. Or if you're not really sure how to be able to do that, like how to get a, um, you know, how to get something at a store, this is, or a restaurant, I should say, this just kind of takes the guesswork out of it. Just makes it easy. You don't have to think about it. You just order your bowl and you're good to go. So I thought that was kind of fun. Just wanted to share those with you. So, um, okay, so that's enough of that. <laughs> so I'd like to get into my interview with Stephanie Holbrook today. Um, I think this is gonna be a treat for you guys. I think you'll enjoy her. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her or not, but I'd like to introduce you to her and I'll give you some more information about her before we get into the interview. But actually, before I even introduce you or tell you a little bit more about Stephanie, I want to forewarn you that the audio quality of this interview is not great. Now, I've been recording pretty much all of my interviews 
um, over the last several weeks to a couple of months through um, different software. This particular interview, because of some difficulties that uh, Stephanie, and, Stephanie and I had um, getting this set up, I actually recorded this using an old software that I typically uh, don't use anymore. So there's a lot of echo in um, on Stephanie's part, and I think it's my fault that that's echoing. So I apologize for that, and uh, I think that there were probably safeguards I could have done, but since I have not been using that software, I just didn't think about those. And so I apologize in advance. I hope that you'll still be able to listen to this interview and get a lot out of it. It's not terrible, but it's definitely not the audio quality that usually I have on here. So I do apologize for that. So Stephanie is a coach and she actually specializes in what's called periodized nutrition. So that is that your nutrition should match your training. So she works with a lot of athletes and she uses the latest science in low carbohydrate and ketogenic diets like keto adaptation, fat adaptation to optimize her athletes health and performance. And then she offers comprehensive programs that focus on all aspects of health, including mindset, stress, nutrition, sleep, and movement. So she she is um, doing a lot with athletes. So Stephanie took up endurance sports because she wanted to get into shape. She thought surely all that training would help her get fit and thin. She ate the high carbohydrate, low fat diet recommended to endurance athletes. Instead of getting thinner, she got fatter, sicker, and more broken. Stephanie knew she had to make a change. She found out about low carbohydrate and ketogenic diets. She made that change and finally got leaner, faster, stronger, and healthier. Stephanie is the owner of Keto Endurance. She has a passion for helping fellow athletes like herself to use the power of ketogenic diets to look, feel, and perform at their best. She is certified as a level two USA cycling coach, as a USA triathlon coach, as a Czech exercise coach, a Czech holistic lifestyle coach, a superhuman coach, and the Pose Method certified running technique specialist. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Stephanie. How are you doing, Stephanie? I'm great. How are you, Jessica? I am super, and I'm really excited to be talking to you again since this is the first time I've spoken to you since we were met on the Low Carb Cruise. Yes, it was a fabulous meeting you and all the other NTP practitioners who are doing such a great job at promoting health to the keto community. Yeah, it's um, that cruise is such a fun thing to bring so many people in this community together. I, I love it for that, and it's everybody's just having a good time, and and you can be yourself, and you're not just seeing people giving their talks or you know during the seminars. We're not just seeing us that way. You get to see and meet people, um, kind of a more social setting, which was awesome. But speaking of talks, I really loved the talk that you gave on the cruise. I thought it was awesome. And um, But before we kind of get into that stuff, I guess I should make sure that my audience knows who you are. So can you tell us a little bit about you and what you do and kind of how you came to this keto space? Okay, well, my name is Stephanie Holbrook, and my company is Keto for Endurance Athletes. I coach endurance athletes exclusively. I used to coach, um, was a personal trainer for senior citizens, so I do have that background in helping with corrective posture and everything, but I've, I gradually moved towards the keto space for endurance athletes, and 
The reason why I became a coach was I've been an endurance athlete for many years. I started endurance sports in 2003, even though I, I did do a marathon in what was it, 1989, 90, 1990, um, the Baton Death March, but a memorial. It wasn't the actual death march. But so I had bought into the idea that um, a low fat diet and um, lots of endurance training was the optimal diet for an endurance athlete. And my goal was when my son had started, my youngest son had started elementary school that I was going to get fit and get skinny and I was going to run a marathon. And I signed up for a charity marathon training and I did the marathon, but I was actually fatter at the end of the marathon than I was when I started. And unfortunately, that is the case for many, many people. So I thought, well, maybe I just need to do longer events or different events. So I ended up doing some triathlons, uh, a lot of century bike rides, and uh, end up doing an Ironman and five half Ironmans, which are um, triathlons. And the um, I never ended up really getting that body that I had wanted. And in fact, I started becoming more sick and broken. And I had um, got... Uh, I used to have exercise-induced asthma that later became full-blown asthma. I had gut issues. I mean, you name it. I was a mess. And I had asthma that was, I mean, uncontrolled. So the uh, I started doing some research because I felt like I had been told a lie. Like, you know, exercise more, eat less. And you are, and don't eat any fat, very low fat, and you're going to end up skinny. And obviously that, that was not the case for me. So I went on this journey to figure out what was going on. And at first I found the paleo diet with Rob Wolf. And, um, I started listening to podcasts just like this. Um, and I listened to the Ben Greenfield podcast, uh, started, I signed up for Ben Greenfield's superhuman coaching program. I um, learned about Paul check and the Czech Institute where he was talking about like, hey, we need fat and you need real food and um, became a Czech exercise coach and a Czech uh, holistic lifestyle coach. And I really just found um, that I was doing a lot of things wrong. And like NTP, I'm sure that it's a holistic approach. You know, it's not just the food you put in your body. It's how you're sleeping, how you're managing stress. And as I became... Um, more knowledgeable. I also learned about um, Dr. Paul Ma or it's Dr. Phil Maffetone and um, Professor Paul Larson, who um, discussed the differences between being fit and being healthy. I mean, that's sort of what I based my talk on on the low carb cruise was that they're not the same thing, and how you train and how you live your life and the fuel fuel you put in your body really are how you become healthy, but um, you can become fast with all those things just with some, you know, decent genetics, but that doesn't mean your body's going to be healthy. So after I learned all these things, I became a coach because I wanted to help fellow endurance athletes avoid the trials and troubles that I had experienced. And, um, as you know, I'm a big believer in burning fat as your primary source of fuel, and um, fat and ketones are a great way to fuel your brain and fuel your body and to keep um, you young and healthy.
Yeah, which you're a great example of that because you definitely look young and healthy. <laughs> Thank you. You're so welcome. So I, a lot of what you said, I'm sure resonates with many of the people listening today as we, um, mo many of us mothers, I would say for sure, um, can absolutely 100% agree with the path that you went down. Like, uh, yep, been there myself, did exactly that, you know, decided I was going to get skinny and start training for maybe not everybody trains for a marathon, but you, you know, think I'm going to get skinny. I'm going to stop eating fat. I'll, you know, stay, um, stay out of the, the fat zone. Everything's got to be low fat, no fat. I'm going to work, work out all the time, work out like crazy or train for a marathon or a half marathon. And myself included, after doing that, after training, I did not run a marathon, but I trained for a half marathon. I was fatter when that was over. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, how is this even possible? And I was in worse shape than ever. I was hurting. I, I was, I had things, you know, new issues that I didn't have prior to training. And honestly, my whole body was just flabbier and like, I just didn't feel as strong. I mean, I felt like maybe endurance wise, like maybe I, maybe I felt like, okay, yeah, there's not much that wins me anymore, but I'm, but I'm just not in good shape. Like I just don't feel good about myself. I don't look good. So <clears throat> I think that that, that definitely people can, can understand that part. So you went through all of this. You did the Ben, ben Greenfields program. Um, I think a lot of us, again, probably have a similar path. If people are listening to this podcast, I'm certain they're listening to other ones, and we gather our information that way. So what was it about keto, and what was it that – was there like a moment that was like a light bulb for you that was like, oh, my gosh, this is great? Or did you just think, well, what do I have to lose? I might as well try this, and things started improving? Or how did, how did keto become the answer for you? Well, what, when I, I think a lot of people do, you know, follow this path too, but I first went, um, paleo, which is real food, mm -hmm. um, a real food approach. And I started to see benefits from that. So that was like the first step. I'm like, oh, I feel better. And then, um, I, you know, the more research you do, you sort of just make changes and tweaks. And then, um, I met, this um, gentleman at the Become Superhuman conference named Peter Defty. And Peter had been working with a lot of um, professional endurance athletes and helped them break some pretty significant um, records, world records, and some Tour de France athletes. And um, he was like, you know, you need to drop the carbs and then you can add them back in because you're trying to increase that insulin sensitivity. And then when I dropped back a lot of the carbs, I actually started to feel even better. And I did lose some weight. And back eventually I um, swung all the way over to a carnivore, like all meat diet. And I felt pretty good. I had some a few issues that I think that are not talked a lot about when people adopt a carnivore diet. I had some gut issues and I had uh, liquid diarrhea for like, you know, 30 days. And after listening to the NTP professionals talk and realizing, you know, I probably had some serious uh, gut both, uh, I probably needed some more digestive enzymes. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a problem with oxalate dumping. Mm -hmm. which is where your body, uh, when you're not consuming oxalates all the time, your body starts releasing those stored oxalates. So a lot of people who adopt a carnivore diet end up having um, 
where they have arthritis feels better. But for me, because I think I had so many oxalates in my joints, actually a lot of my joints swelled up. And, um, which was a whole process. But aside from that, I was, I was feeling even better aside from the oxalate dumping and, um, the liquid stools that I realized like, wow, this is like such a big, um, I keep tweaking my diet and getting better and better results. I'm actually not where I still want to be. And I think that, you know, maybe that's why I keep searching and trying new things is like, you know, I'm so much better than I was, but if I keep tweaking and trying new things, so I, I still experiment with macronutrient ratios to um, help me feel better. And I just turned 50 on August 1st. So I'm 50 now and I feel younger. Happy belated birthday. (laughs) Thank you. But I feel younger than I did when I was in my 30s or 20s. I felt horrible in my 20s and 30s. And a lot of it was that high carbohydrate diet Mm -hmm. that I'm like, well, can I make it any better? Can I keep, you know, aging backwards? Because that's what I feel like I'm doing. And um, I mean, I don't know. We'll we'll see how it goes. I just got back from tour to Big Bear. My husband and I went for my fiftieth birthday, and I did the fifty mile ride around Big Bear Lake and wow. up and down a bunch of hills, and I felt pretty fabulous. So I'm like, you know, maybe I can just keep tweaking and and improving. That's awesome. Yes, I have a feeling that you will. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so okay, well that's so that's very interesting and. Since we're on kind of the topic of macros, this is a big topic with anybody that's keto, exploring keto, or if they're well into it, most people, it's probably the most used term in the keto field. Right, right. (laughs) Macro, macro, macro. So I'm going to assume that everybody listening to this podcast knows what we're speaking about, the proteins, fats, and carbohydrates, and the different Um, ratios that we can eat those in. And I think that this is definitely a hot topic right now to talk about. Um, It's definitely something I cover on this podcast a lot is not trying to follow someone else's keto plan or someone else's macronutrient ratio, but following your own, figuring out what works for you. Um, You can call it intuitive eating, you know, call it whatever you want to call it, but um, kind of figuring out how that works for you. So with you as an endurance athlete trainer, how do you see that and how do you play with macronutrients and, you know, are your endurance athletes, are they always in ketosis? Do they, you know, are they able to up their carbohydrates? Um, how do you, how do you work with that? Right. Well, I structure the athletes by their training season and their primary races that they want to do the best in. So, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways to structure training for an endurance athlete. There's micro cycles and macro cycles and all kinds of different cycles. But I, I ensure, you know, with my athletes during part of their season, I make sure that they are very low carbohydrate, high fat and moderate protein where their body is producing, you know, ketones. So we Typically, endurance athletes, though, have a lot lower ketone levels in a measurement than non-endurance athletes because a um, couple of reasons they're producing, um, their body make, gets good at making sugar through gluconeogenesis, which is a perfectly healthy thing to happen. A lot of people freak out about that. And, um, and also, their body's using the ketones. So, you know, endurance athletes freak out, like, I measure my ketones, and it's only 0.5, not, you know, 1.5, and... 
So as long as they're showing ketones on the meter, that's that's really the goal. And I want their bodies to become very insulin sensitive. So during this part of the season, we're focusing on um, another aspect of training is you know, correcting any muscle imbalances they have, working on their good movement form and movement patterns, but also increasing that insulin sensitivity. So if you are an endurance athlete who's already lean, the only purpose of this um, section of training in regards to diet is just to maintain and increase that insulin sensitivity where the body's able to tap into fat stores and use fat for fuel. You know, if you are um, on the converse for um, maybe the way you trained for your first half marathon and the way I trained, we're taught we need carbs, you know, morning, noon, and night, and every 45 minutes while we're exercising. When we do that, that turns off our body's ability to tap into fat stores. And that's a really bad thing for your health, and it's a really bad thing for your performance because um, all of energy is produced through ATP and if you're burning fat, you have three paths of AT to produce ATP through ketones, through um, fatty acids, and through glucose if you choose to add those at a later time. But if you're only producing, you know, you're dependent on glucose, your body's not able to tap into its fat stores. You only have one path for energy, and you have to keep fueling or else you will bonk. So the great, so the great thing about being insulin sensitive is one, you're bonk proof, and two, it's a healthier state for the human body. So after that that point, and then we sort of deviate during different sections of training as we get closer to their primary goal of their primary race, we start manipulating whether to add in carbohydrates or not. So someone whose goal maybe they have some. Um, medical issues like they have asthma or allergies and um, they have you know some weight to lose we probably won't add in much uh, intensity and or any carbohydrates during the next phase of training but if somebody who is already lean they don't have any metabolic issues and they're very healthy then we will um, talk about adding in carbohydrates during the training sessions in order to give them a performance boost so they can use those three pathways of fuel and go faster and dig deeper during training. So that's, um, but that's somebody's already metabolically healthy. They don't have metabolic damage and their goal is primarily to go fast. So, and then um, as this, let's say the, the person who's metabolically healthy advances in their training, getting close to their A race, then we're experimenting with fuel, like adding a little carbohydrates before, you know, their training session and um, and also during training. But they still are following a ketogenic diet on their rest days and during easy um, recovery training days. So their goal is a performance boost. But then somebody who is not interested in that, they have, they have weight to lose and their, their goal is really to... Um, just enjoy the ride, joining, enjoying endurance training. I enjoy endurance training. That's that's why I do it. It's because uh, it's fun for me. But um, this person is not going to be adding in carbohydrates. And maybe during their, um, when they get closer to their race, they may test adding a few bit of carbohydrates. And we're talking 5 to 15 grams every hour. So it's a teeny tiny amount. 
um, during their um, peak, their their key training sessions during the week. And then um, so they will use a little tiny bit of carbs during race day to just help them go a little faster. So that's that's sort of how we structure training. But it's very, very, very individual. You can't say, well, you know, this is the formula, you know, base building, you know, you do this or, um, you know, transition period, you do this. There are a couple specifics, like you always warm up without carbs because you want that fat burning to happen first. You don't want to turn off your fat burning and you always cool down without carbs. You know, you you make sure that you revert back to full keto after your training session. But aside from that, the, the macros and the timing of the nutrition is very, very individualized. So can can you explain to me and to the listeners what is it about the carbohydrate adding in the carbohydrates that helps give somebody an edge? Like you're saying um, that if they they need to go a little bit faster or whatever, what is it about adding carbohydrates that does that? Okay, so it's all about um, ATP. So your body uses um, converts through um, acetyl CoA uh, the the process. Of producing fuel mm-hmm. that it's uh, let me look up the exact numbers of ATP approximate that you can um, you can oh, sorry, I, know I, it, I know that seems like there's so much talk about this in the endurance community um, there seems to be two sides of the fence to this where you'll have, right. you know, people are like, absolutely not. You can do everything in ketosis. You don't need to add in carbs. And then we've got the other athletes that are like, um, you know, that's no, you, you have to have carbohydrates. How could you possibly train for an endurance event without carbohydrates? Your body needs it. Right. So it sounds like you are in the kind of in the middle of that where you're saying, listen, there are, there are valid points to both sides of this. And right. It just so depends let, on the let's person. talk about. So if somebody, so there's like I talked about the three pathways to produce ATP. Mm-hmm. So ATP is the only way your body makes energy, right? There's actually many more pathways, but that we're talking about main path, pathways. Right. So um, burning fat uh, through the um, your metabolic cycle through. Um, all energy feeds through acetyl-CoA through specific pathways. And if you're burning fat and ketones, so fat, you can produce 129 um, units of ATP. If you are adding ketones to it, there's another 22. So this is, you know, estimates, but we're, you know, just around that amount. Mm-hmm. So uh, ketones, you're, you're producing about 22 Um, units of ATP through beta-hydroxybutyrate. And then if you add in glucose, that's another 29 units of ATP. So you get more, you can get more fuel. There was a study done in um, Sweden or one of those countries, and I can send you a link that you can put in the show notes if you want to people to look up these studies, where they took the difference between recreational athletes and um, elite well, they're runners, recreational runners and elite runners. And what they showed was that elite athletes naturally 
just are better at burning fat genetically, like their muscle fibers, regardless of how much fuel they put in their bodies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people talk about ketosis. If you measure someone who's naturally lean and an endurance athlete, and even if they are eating 300 grams of carbohydrates a day, you can test their ketones and they will have ketones in their blood because they're burning fat. So it's just like people are like, well, what about the Kenyans? Well, if you test the Kenyans' ketones, I imagine they would probably burn fat. My husband is naturally lean. He's six foot seven, weighs 170 pounds. He's a skinny, skinny guy. He eats all kinds of carbohydrates. If I test his blood ketones at any moment, he will show blood ketones. Mm-hmm. So these people are like, well, they're not in ketosis. Well, they are. They are in ketosis. It's just they're adding an extra carbohydrates and their body's able to burn both. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, the difference. Some people don't have that ability. It takes a lot less ketone or carbohydrates for me to produce ketones. I'm about 20 grams or less a day easily. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and I've gone to zero grams a day, and you can measure my ketones, and sometimes they're even lower than his, and he's, you know, he's eating 300 grams of carbohydrates a day. Mm-hmm. So, so let's not confuse, like, oh, well, so-and-so eats 300 grams, and they don't need to burn fat. They probably are burning fat. You just don't know it. Until you measure, you don't know. So that uh, so that's the difference. So carbohydrates, if you're burning fatty acids and um, ketones, yes, you can go a long, long way and as fast as you're going to go, but you will always go faster if you're insulin sensitive. So here's the caveat: if you're insulin sensitive, if you add some glucose, it will make you go faster because your cells just have more fuel to, to pull from. Mm-hmm. So I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And and I think this is not just in the endurance space, but this is a confusing point for a lot of people to understand, I think. And it can be a point of contention um, in this keto space where it's like, well, you're not really keto if you, you know, don't eat this percentage of your macros as carbs or whatever. And I think that what you're explaining here hopefully will help it make more sense to people to understand that really the big key here is how metabolically sensitive or how how insulin sensitive how metabolically well are you right <laughs> and, and right, that really yeah. determines on what your keto journey is going to look like versus mine versus your husband's or my husband's or somebody else's husband's or you know it's like what what does the damage that has been done over the years to you metabolically, what does it look like right now? How insulin sensitive are you? You know, how many carbs can you put in um, and still be producing ketones? Because like you said, some people, I mean, my goodness, you you hear all the time, you know, 20, 30 carbs a day, something like that. Some people can't eat nearly that many carbs and stay in no. ketosis. Some people have to be zero carb. Yep. And that's, that's them. And, you know, some people say about like, oh, the damage you did up from birth, to, you know, whatever age you are, but you may be, it's, it may be a genetic injury, you know, a a genetic thing from before you were even born. So if you, if I know you've studied Pottinger's cats. I was just going to say, this is Pottinger's cats all the way. (laughs) So if you, you cannot, you have to go like three generations back and maybe even further. I, um, to, to see where, you know, your fueling optimization is for you. And then things that you do now, 
you know, if you're before you're pregnant and after you're pregnant and how you feed your children, you know, you may not even be able to correct what you've done for them. You can make them as good as they're going to get, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be optimal for their whole life because the damage was done two generations ago. Yeah. Or even, it's not even damage. It's just like, you know, the carb carbohydrate tolerance, I believe, and I, I imagine you do too, that ketosis is a natural state for our human body. Mm -hmm. And that we've had so many generations that have deviated from that since the advent of agriculture, really, that um, you know, we that's thousands of years we would have to go back to really make some of those changes that are, are not going to happen how you well you adapt depends a lot on your muscle fibers you know just basically your your dna yeah and this is for anybody listening it's a very very fascinating um study to go learn about pottinger's cats so if you're not familiar with what we're talking about you can just google that even um and you'll get kind of the gist of it but it'll give you a really good idea of exactly what Stephanie and I are talking about here and what she's, you know, alluding to is that you can do everything perfect. And I think um, that this is something that can really get people down and make people feel frustrated. And, and they're like, I'm doing everything, you know, quote unquote, right. And things, I still feel like things are broken or I can't um, do this lifestyle the way so-and-so is doing it. And so that means something's wrong with me or I'm doing something wrong. And and I think exactly what Stephanie's saying is here, here is this could be something from your grandparents' grandparents. You know, this is not necessarily something that you're doing. It's just the hand that we're dealt and we have to do the best with what we have and, and just <clears throat> do the best we can. So I think experimenting around and this is what makes me crazy about meal plans. And I don't know if you do them or not. Um, but I have people ask me all the time for meal plans and I will give grocery lists. I have keto shopping lists and I'll give recipes and I'll give suggestions for snacks and I'll do all of those things. But I, I am, do not like the whole meal plan thing because I'm like, listen, if I give you a meal plan, I can make you up a meal plan and tell you exactly what to eat. But how do I know that that is what's good for you? Like, right. I don't know that. I don't, I don't know if the macros in that meal plan that I'm giving you are going to serve you. And I feel like people should really be, um, this is one of the reasons that you should really be experimenting with this yourself and try. And if you have a coach, <clears throat> and you know, Steffi and I both are coaches in our own, you know, fields of expertise here. But if you have a coach or, or a nutritionist, somebody that's helping you through this lifestyle, I think that's a great idea because there's so many nuances that are really hard to figure out or to get correct information on Google about. But, um, but going to somebody to just tell you exactly what to eat and when and how much I just think is a, is a plan for failure. I mean, that's, you can do that going to Jenny Craig or Nutrisystem and you're right. never going to stick to that. Right. And, and it's something that I think, you know, a lot of my clients, they come to me and they say, I will follow you, follow you, whatever you tell me to do 100%. I'm like, that's not what we do when I coach. Yeah, I, there's, I don't, I cannot guide you into, I can't just tell you what to do, you do it. And then, you know, you're going to end up like, you know, fast, you know, doing a seven minute mile. I I have to get feedback from you and, um, and vice versa. 
And something, so it's not, um, it's not, it's a dance that I may be leading the dance, but we're still dancing. It's not a dictatorship where I'm like, and that's why I feel like a meal plan is a dictatorship. Like you're just saying, yo, here, you know, follow this and you're going to get good results. Well, no, I, that's not the way the body works. Every, every thought you have has a chemical reaction. All our body is like hundreds of thousands of chemical reactions are happening every, every second that we breathe. And, um, I can't figure out what's going on with you without a conversation. And I, I use a program called training peaks. So the clients, um, their programs upload to the, this, this platform. And then I can look at their heart rate at every moment during their run or their bike ride or even weightlifting and, uh, you know, what their pace was, what the elevation is that they're running and what the, um, I can look up their ambient temperature and sort of determine what's going on with them. So something that I see with a lot of athletes, some people contact me and they want a, a, a nutrition solution for their training and to get faster. So, and this one athlete I've been working with for a while, I'm like, I can't give you those answers without looking at your training plan. And then I see his training plan um, and his pace is too fast for um, what, he, what it should be. And I'm like, you know, your nutrition part is not the part of your problem. It's the way you're training. So I think that, you know, everybody wants, like, I, I want the solution to my problem to be this nutrition solution. And people have read The Magic of Keto. Like, I just want it, um, you know, eat a ketogenic diet. I'm going to be burning fat, and then everything's going to be peachy keen. Mm -hmm. And that's not really the way the body works. <laughs> so that's I'm nice. like, uh, I, and some of my clients, so, you know, with running, I, I'm a post-method run coach. And then I offer, you know, post-method, I put post-method drills in the run form. So regardless if your diet is perfect, and your heart rate's perfect. If you have poor run form, you're not going to run fast. You're not going to be faster. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's so many, uh, I guess, pieces to the puzzle that you can't just say, you know, like you were talking about, you can't just get a meal plan and call it good. Like, you know, that's, it's not that simple. Right. And, and and I, oh, go on. I think another big part of this is um, stress and sleep that we don't yes. talk about very often. And I would imagine as um, an endurance athlete trainer <laughs> that these have got to be things that you are really trying to get um, your clients focused on. So can you talk a little bit about how you see sleep and stress affecting that? Yeah. I mean, I think some things too, people think that, oh, more is always better. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, we are, when we're exercising, we're tearing down our bodies. It's only when we recover that we rebuild. And sometimes people who like, oh, I just want to do more, more, more. I want to get faster, faster, faster. And they don't incorporate enough sleep or take into uh, account stress from their work or their family or different aspects of training that they, um, that are really hindering their training and they can't figure out why they're not getting faster. Mm -hmm. So some athletes, I just add extra days in their training schedule. Like just focus on recovery today. You don't, um, 
one athlete, she wants to do something every single day of the week. So I have her, um, I have her training schedule, like, um, work in your garden. (laughs) So it's, so it's like, she feels like she has something specific to do, but you know, it's something that's not going to be, you know, it's going to be different than, than running seven miles or, or something like that. So it's just, um, it's learning what works for that specific athlete. So an athlete, I have athletes who are retired. They have more time in the day to do stuff. And then I have athletes with professional jobs and young children. You know, that athlete needs more. I, this, you know, some specific athletes need more recovery days in their schedule because life happens. They, you can't, um, and I think something too, as a, you know, going back a little bit, something too, as a coach is, is setting realistic expectations for clients, mm-hmm. something that, you know, somebody wants to train for an Ironman, but they have a stressful job. They have two kids and they have, you know, uh, you know a spouse who actually likes to see them, <laughs> you know, that, you know that an Ironman may not be for you. Mm-hmm. Maybe a half Ironman or Olympic distance triathlon. Um, the half Ironman training is not much more than Olympic distance triathlon. So that's a, you know, a half Ironman gives you a big sense of accomplishment and um, without so much stress on your family than an Ironman. An Ironman is a part-time job. You know, during the peak training, it's like 20 hours a week. So unless you have an extra 20 hours a week that you can put in your schedule, you probably should not consider doing an Ironman, regardless of how much you really want to do that, unless you're going to make some pretty huge sacrifices in other areas of your life. Mm Mm-hmm. So what do you think about or how do you handle if somebody comes to you and let's say that it was you back after, you know, you had your son and you're like, okay, I'm going to now train for a marathon and get skinny. Um, How do you kind of approach those people or the training with them? Or do you look at that any differently if it's somebody that is just looking to do this to lose weight versus somebody that's like, you know, listen, I think this is going to be the best way to do this. And so that's why I want to do it. Well, I, I mean, I would definitely have a different approach, you know, someone who wants to get skinny as opposed to um, someone who wants to qualify, you know, for the Boston marathon or have a PR yeah. So, um, I mean, they would definitely have different approaches to training. You know, I think um, all of my training programs include strength training because I think it's an important part of a balanced body. But some people just like to be outside like I do, and that's why I like endurance sports. So telling them, like, you know, maybe you would do better if you were training for a figure competition in a gym, I would refer them to somebody else like, you know, the keto savage people I would be like that would fit your needs a lot better than you know I would ask them do you enjoy else like what do you enjoy if you enjoy being outside and hiking and running and riding your bike you know that you would want to work with me if someone wants just to uh, I just want to look good and I don't really care how I get there well I would say that that I don't really think that's uh good mental approach I mean I think you have to be able to enjoy it but if you'll enjoy you know being inside in the gym you know then you would want to go to somebody else besides me (laughs) right so (laughs) I'm not going to coach you if I I would just tell you and even though I can write programs for people who are um, just interested in weightlifting and um, you know I trained senior citizens for a very long time 
And um, so I understand about body movement patterns and how to build strength and, you know, all of that. But I don't want to work with those people because that's not really what I, I like doing. I like helping endurance athletes because I like endurance sports and I know a heck of a lot more about endurance sports training than I do uh, about figure competitions or, or bodybuilding. Right. So I think, you know, the, so it would, if someone came to me, it would be like, first, like, what are your goals? You know, I want to look good, but I want, and I want to do a half marathon. Mm-hmm. Yes, I can work with you. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I would give them, I, I always give them starting macros to, to work from, but then we sort of tweak from there yeah. and I get feedback. So I, you know, some people don't give macros and I, um, I think that's hard because you're like, I don't even know where to start. Macros yeah. are where you can start. We are after we, we can tweak those macros and the starting macros for me are less than 20 grams of carbohydrates total, not, um, not net. Um, but I do have a caveat. You can have all the green leafy vegetables you want. Yeah. So, so that's, you know, you don't have to record those. And yeah. then, um, I do, uh, starting, um, base macros is 0.6 grams of protein per pound of lean mass. But, um, and then fat, I give them a minimum and, um, which is about 65% of their calories from, um, fat. But I tell them you can add based on your appetite, you can add extra fat. If you're hungry, add fat and, you know, protein together, depending on how hungry you are. So I, I like to tell people to listen to their hunger signals because that's your body's talking. Your body is talking to you. Yeah. So that's, that's sort of where I start with people. I think that's really good. And I agree with you. It's, I think it's important to give people macros to start because they need to know, I mean, you don't, and I think tracking is important to start, which if you've got macros, you've got to be tracking. So you know that you're hitting those. But I think it's really important because most people, um, even if you live a healthy lifestyle, even if you are, have been focused on health, et cetera, you're still, um, most people still don't understand or know. I know I certainly didn't until I started tracking this stuff. Like what are the macronutrient ratios in the food that you eat? You know, it's just, it's not something that we inherently know. So I think tracking and having goals and then figuring out how you feel and tweaking that accordingly, um, or if you're testing for ketones, making sure that you're tweaking what you're eating until you get to your producing ketones. Um, I think that's important stuff because we have to have a, there has to be a foundation. We have to know where we're, you know, where we're going to start. Right. So you have to have a starting point. Some of the, I guess, a critique I have from some other coaches and people that I, I used to work for is they're like, oh, just do this and then, you know, eat a high fat diet and um, then add in carbohydrates during training. And I'm like, well, for some people have no idea what that means. It may mean something to you, but it means something to, different than to somebody else and moderate protein. What the heck does that mean? Exactly. <laughs> you know, like, like what is moderate? So for me, one, uh, so somebody who has a high volume of training, I also give like people who, um, are doing, um, like if you're training for an Ironman during peak, you know, build phase, you're going to be hungry. I say, you know, eat, 
eat up to 1.3 grams per pound of lean mass. And for me, that's a huge amount of protein, like in my head. Mm -hmm. For somebody else, it's a moderate amount of protein because they're used to bodybuilding macros, which is double that. Mm -hmm. So for some people, for some programs. So I think that the the thing is, like, it's a really fuzzy number, low-carb. I mean, how many low-carb, quote-unquote, low-carb studies have you read that the low-carb was less than 100 grams? Like, are you freaking kidding me? That's right. not low-carb. <laughs> That's not low-carb. <laughs> right. It's it's all relative, right? I mean, if you're, right. if you're, if you're saying, well, is it low-carb as compared to the typical three, 350 grams of carbs that the average American eats? Okay, maybe that is low-carb. But uh, in the in the realm of like trying to be in ketosis or use fat for fuel or becoming you know more metabolically healthy, that's not low carb. <laughs> right. So right. yeah, it's I think it, it definitely um, yeah. There's some some uh, things that you need to know and you need to be able to track and you you need to understand to know what is really going to serve you best. Right. So sort of talking about adding back in the carbs that I was talking about before and people become so like, I, you know, upset about that. I'm saying add back in some carbs. I'm talking about uh, like the size of a lifesaver. <laughs> so, you know, suck on a piece of hard candy every hour. You know, that's like three pieces for a century bike ride. You know, for me, it's I use um an amino acid peptide Vespa, and then some, um, I do use uh, ketone salts and a, uh, whatchamacallit, um, Perpetuum, which is a, a carbohydrate-based drink with with protein in it. And that seems to work best with for me. And um, it's like still less than 100 grams of carbohydrates total for a whole 100-mile bike ride, which for some people... You know, that's ridiculous. For my um, 50-mile tour of Big Bear, which um, was very hilly, it was almost 4,000 feet of climbing and um, at high elevation. Yeah, I was going to say the elevation's got to play a role in that, too. Yes. Yeah, so what I had, because they did not, I was sort of irritated because they said they would have hard-boiled eggs to every aid station, and they did, well, not everyone, but they did not have the hard-boiled eggs. They had to have bacon, but you had to wait in the long line for it, so, and they ran out of ribs when I got to the ribs, so which are all supposed to be on the course, but I ended up eating, like, probably a cup and a half of strawberries, um, was the whole fuel I used for that whole 50-mile bike ride, so it's not, um, you know, Strawberries are still carbohydrates, but they're not a ton of carbohydrates. So I think everything's relative and, um, and especially relative to what traditional endurance athletes are, um, advised to eat. Yes. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's probably as much of anything you're, I would assume that what you are kind of dealing with a lot of times is just, um, just the paradigm shift, just getting people, around the kind of old school thinking and trying to open them up to new possibilities. I would feel like that would be, I mean, because you're surrounded in that endurance world. Uh, oh, yes. By really the opposite of what you're teaching. <laughs> right. And I'll tell you, when I go to endurance coaching conferences or um, training sessions, I am definitely the odd man out. I, I think a little less than I used to be, but it's still... Um, you know, I'm a crazy person right? <laughs> compared to, to what they are uh, 
that what they think that uh, endurance athletes should eat. But my talk, I, for those who don't know, you know, you can. Jimmy just posted my talk on uh, on the Live in La Vida Low Carb uh, podcast. Okay. That I, and Jessica can put a, a link to it yeah. if you want to. But it it talks about the differences between being fit and very, being healthy. And a lot of endurance athletes are very thin and very fast, but they are not healthy and they end up with some pretty horrible diseases like cancer and diabetes and strokes and heart attacks that that, um, you know, just because someone looks a certain way and can perform a certain way doesn't mean that you're, you're going to live longer or be healthy. And I think that it's an important point to make is that for one, you can't judge a book by its cover, but those those recommendations to endurance athletes, regardless if you get the time results that you are looking for, if you're taking 10, 20 years off your life, it's not worth it. And if you adopt a ketogenic diet and you learn how to time the carbohydrates for you, not only will you be faster than you ever could be um, as a, a sugar-dependent athlete, um, you'll be you'll be faster because you're using three different um, sources of fuel to fuel you and you're able to produce just more ATP. It's just training the body to prefer fat as its primary source of fuel. Yeah, that's great advice. And I, I think that I'm hoping that there are some endurance athletes listening to this and that they, I will definitely put the link um, to Jimmy's podcast so they can go on there and listen to your talk because it was an excellent talk. You had a lot of information. My head was just spinning like, okay, <laughs> I need to look into that. I need to research that. Like, wow, that's that's really great information. So um, I think that's re- it's going to be really helpful to a lot of people. Um, Stephanie, tell us before we wrap up, where can they find you, find more information about you, any projects you have going on, anything like that? So my um, my website is ketoendurance.co, not com, co. And if you go to my website, you can download a free guide that says um, on how to train harder, move faster with keto adaptation. You just get this guide, and it sort of breaks up the the sections of the season and how learning how to time your carbohydrates. There is a, a food shopping list, so you can get ideas of you know, keto fuel. And, um, for me, like, I think that just sticking to real whole food, which I think is, you know, what you promote as well is really what I stick to when it comes to, um, you know, how to eat. Yeah, for sure. I think that's, um, I think that would really solve a lot of people's problems. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Just stick to real food. Just stick to real food. Let's just do it that way. (laughs) All right. Well, Stephanie, it has been great talking to you and having you on here. I really appreciate it. And um, I am really excited for everybody to get to know more about you. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for having me. I just really appreciate the time that we have to talk. And I can't wait until I run into you again. Me too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Keto Lifestyle Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed what we shared with you today and are looking forward to the next episode.